and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, October 15th, 2021, and this is episode 37B. On today's B episode, we are kicking things off as per recent usual with the news of which we have a collection of things um, just to go over the points we'll be hitting on. Um, there will be discussion of the second part of the Masters of the Universe, of which the release date we now have. Um, a Skittles spoiler ad for Marvel, of all things. News on the graphic novel American Born Chinese being made into an animated feature. A little bit more discussion on John Kent's coming out. Uh, a brief discussion of the Eternals clip that did premiere today. A rumor of the Blade movie or potentially update depending on how you look at that. And then a reminder about the DC Fandom event coming tomorrow and a brief update on Doom Patrol, the series on HBO Max. And that will be our news segment on this episode. Then we are continuing into the comic book pick list. These are things that came out for DC Comics on the 12th and for everything else on Wednesday the 13th per usual. Uh, I actually don't have too many comics that I'm going to be discussing this week. Um, the list includes Batman Imposter number one, which well, it was the longest discussion I have. Um, and then X-Men number four, which I honestly feel like is faltering a little bit, and I will go into depth of why when we get there. E-T-E-R, which was a one-shot of two stories. Mamo number four, which is of five. X-Force number 24, very briefly, and also briefly, Eternals Forever, which I was surprised. I did not enjoy the way I thought to, but I guess looking at the fact that it's not the Kieran Gillen Eternals. I guess it's not surprising. And for our weekly TV discussion, we are doing Titans Season 3 Episode 12, of which there will be 13 episodes. This one was titled Prodigal Son. Um, so we will go over that a lot and talk about what we think might be happening in the finale next week. And finally, this episode will wrap up with DC Comics in January 2022. Just this past day or two, DC released their official solicitations for everything they will be publishing and releasing for January 2022. And there's a number of really exciting things uh, picking up and a number of um, things that are just continuing in a way that I'm glad to see keep going on um, and just some things worth noting. So we will hit that at the end of the episode. As I get through all of these different talking points, and of course, spoilers are going to be abound everywhere, uh, please do remember that I would love to hear your thoughts on the things that I discuss here. It is a discussion, so it does... Uh, I, I would prefer for it to have two players, um, not just be one-sided. So if you have anything you would like to add or anything like that, um, do so. Do that however you can. Uh, be that commenting on wherever it is that you listen to this or um, hitting me up online and doing it that way. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is Anna with the comics. Uh, my Twitter is Savage She Geek. And if you want to go to my website, there's a whole lot of stuff there. That is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. And it is full of um, my old blog, which was what I uh, kind of did for comic 
culture stuff before I started the podcast, I would write out uh, basically essays uh, or articles, you might say, or they're, they're blog posts um, on comic book polls and picks and uh, reviews of comics and discussions of things happening in the community. Um, and that is all still there. That's a year or two of that is all up there on the website. If you want to look back at any of that, that is all able for you to access. I have reading orders of some of my favorite female characters. I know I mentioned this a lot and it's kind of a weird setup that I have it on my site because I haven't been able to update it very much in a while because I have been working this day job and I can't I can't unfortunately do this 24-7, um, but we'll get to how you can help with that in a minute. Um, so I, I would, if you, if you want to look at the characters who have the really good reading orders, I would suggest looking at Magics, looking at Madeline Pryor's, and looking at Clea's. Those are, the t are kind of my, I honestly, probably my top three um, for Marvel too. Uh, so those are the ones that are like really, really in-depth. Clea's and Madeline's are completely finished. Uh, but of course, Magic's is a lot bigger than both of theirs combined. So it is, I have, I have the hits. <laughs> and I think I had um, very briefly her actions in some of, in most of the comics as well. What her, her storyline is through it all. So that is there on my site, as well as my podcast pod notes, which are my uh, kind of outlines for each podcast that I add to during the week for things that I want to remember to talk about so I don't get too off track and don't forget to talk about anything. Um, and that I make accessible on my website's blog as well, because uh, I figure if somebody wants to catch up really quick without having to listen to it, if they prefer to read it, or if there is anyone who is hard of hearing who would like to keep up with the podcast, that is there for them to do so with. The last major thing that you can find on my website, again, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, is links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include, well, honestly, most places you can listen to podcasts, and also YouTube, where all the podcast episodes are collected in a nice little playlist for everything in order. Um, and I also post to YouTube occasionally action figure review videos. You can go back and check out uh, a variety of things that I have. I have um, probably my most popular one still is the uh, the Coffin Comics Lady Death figure, which I adore. And she sits up on the shelf in her box and looks menacingly down at me every day. And I love it. Um, I've done it on um, most recently, the Marvel HasLab Sentinel from Hasbro. That was the 2020 HasLab for the Marvel Legends line, um, which we did get in, and it is phenomenal. Um, good little unboxing reveal video uh, on my YouTube page there if you're curious at all about that. Um, and also some SH figure arts like uh, Dragon Ball Z figures and Sailor Moon stuff. And also, you know, if you just want to reach out and talk to me about any of these topics, I'm into all of this stuff. For example, I just started Demon Slayer today. I have a wide, very varying, vast, you know what I mean. I have a, a variety of interests. Um, so, and I would love to connect with people who have similar interests. And that's really the core of this podcast is sharing this um, stuff that we all have in common more to whatever extent and discussing it and having a good time talking about it and, and making it a part of our lives. If you would like to support the podcast, the easiest way to do so is to, like I kind of said before, comment on the podcast, share it, 
um, like, subscribe, do the rate, you know, do whatever it is that you can do on the, uh, the, the format that you're listening to it. Um, and you can share it with people who you think will also listen to it, share it in your nerd communities and in your whatever communities, your queer communities, wherever you think that it might be appreciated by anybody. And we can grow this particular community even more. Beyond that, if you would like to financially support or donate to the podcast, I do have a podcast Patreon. It is listed on Patreon under Sensational She Geek, of course, very easy to find. Um, I don't have too much as far as rewards go. I'm working on a reward sticker that will be like an annual thing. Um, I have yet to settle on a design that I like for that or a manufacturer that I'm really happy with what they have as far as options go and pricing. So um, that will hopefully be coming by the end of 2021. It's a work in progress. Um, but otherwise, the Patreon is just kind of there as a monthly, you know, whatever you feel the podcast may be worth to you as far as entertainment or whatever value you, you put to it. You know, if it's worth a comic a month, you know, um, because Patreon is kind of more of a monthly subscription thing. And again, I'm working on getting rewards on a more regular basis. Otherwise, if you're not looking to do monthly things, I do have on my link tree links to other places that you can donate, like um, I think I have Cash App on there and Venmo and Kofi, which is K-O-F-I. That is kind of a fun little one that's a, a big one in the creatives community. Um, I'm on there under SheGeek. Uh, it's a one-time donation system. The whole idea behind it being donate a couple of bucks to this creator so that they can buy a cup of coffee while they continue working. And we did just pay, gosh, uh, a lot of money, a painful amount of money to get new brakes and pads and rotors. All of that, all of that had to get redone on our car. So, um, you know, that, that are, those are all options there. If you, I know times are hard for everybody, um, but I would be remiss for not mentioning that. And like I said, I am working on designs and rewards and things for the Patreon. Um, I do have a job that I work as what I call my day job. It's not my career in any way. It is what I do to make money. And the more money, any, any money that I make through any of the podcast donation systems, um, that goes entirely to me uh, being able to support the podcast better and work my day job less. Um, most of my time off, I spend doing things for the podcast um, in one way or another. So um, having more time off to be able to do things would be excellent. And then I would also be able to, which my, my primary goal um, is to better the podcast in every way and that would you know have an intro have sound effects and transitions stuff like that real podcast shit you know um and that the way that i will be able to do that is from support from my listeners without further ado let's go ahead and get started with the news that variety of fun news topics that we have to go over we're actually going to start off with a brief little announcement i don't know if you're aware but on hbo max there is the aquaman king of atlantis special part one not entirely sure when part two is dropping it could be a weekly thing that would make the most sense to me um so that is available if you would like to watch it on hbo i believe it is 40 some odd minutes 
Um, just as a note, though, just know if you're going into this, it is not in the vein of the other DC animated shows. It's not like Harley Quinn. It's not like any of that. It is definitely aimed more towards children. Now, I have not watched it myself, so I can't say exactly how much it's aimed toward more towards children, but what I have been told is that it is for a SpongeBob fan-type audience. Um, I am not a span fan of SpongeBob myself. I did not grow up with the show, so I don't have that attachment to it. Um, and so learning of it as like a young adult, I was like, what the hell is this bullshit? Um, but anyway, uh, if you are a fan of Spongebob, you'll probably like this is what I've heard. Um, I may go ahead and try watching it just to see, just to be able to tell you for a fact what it's like. Um, I have not yet, obviously, but when I do, I will let you know, um, how it is, if that is good or bad. The Masters of the Universe. Now, this is the Kevin Smith Masters of the Universe, not the newer He-Man and the Masters of the Universe thing that came out in that very odd animation style much more recently. The Kevin Smith Masters of the Universe, which we had part one, which was, I believe, five or six episodes um, earlier this year. Part two is going to be released on November 23rd with five more episodes that will be running 30 minutes each. Um, this is Masters of the Universe Revelation. I guess it's an appropriate title for it. I sound like a complete noob. I kind of am. This is the first He-Man show of any kind that I've watched, unless you want to count the She-Ra Netflix show. And just to preface all of this, I greatly have enjoyed both of those shows. Um, I don't have anything really kind to say for the people who get all up in arms about them. Um, really don't have much nice to say about them because when it comes down to this, once again, people, this is a show for children. Um, it is not for you, adult male in your 40s who lives alone with My Little Pony stuff. That was a mean cliche, probably. I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. Um... I really, really loved Masters of the Universe Revelation. I get that people were upset that it wasn't about He-Man entirely. Um, it was about He-Man, but He-Man wasn't in it, I guess, is the whole thing that people had the issue with. Um, because he's discussed almost constantly. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the beginning has him and the end has him. And we already know the next five episodes that are going to be coming out starting on the, well, on the 23rd, all of them will be dropping are going to have him more in it. So relax. Um, and just as like a friendly check-in with yourself, um, why do you like this shirtless man so much? Just, just checking in with your, 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 your identity here. Just making sure that you're aware of yourself. I don't know why I'm saying any of this. Hopefully there wouldn't be anybody who really, really hated. I don't think anybody who really hated both of those shows would be listening to this podcast because I definitely am I, I am very openly not that kind of podcast um, but this in case you need any more convincing uh, the voice cast for Masters of the Universe Revelation includes Mark Hamill as Skeletor Lena Headey as Evelyn, Chris Wood as Prince Adam slash He-Man Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila Liam Cunningham as Man-at-Arms uh, I think that's most of the big names, but others that are included are uh, Stephen Root, Diedrich Bader, uh, Griffin Newman, Tiffany Smith, Henry Rollins, 
who the original Skeletor actor, Alan Oppenheimer. Oh, he's playing Moss Man, I guess. Um, Susan Eisenberg, Alicia Silverstone, Justin Long, Jason Mewes. That's funny. Jason Mewes is in this. He's playing Stinkor. Of course he would. Uh, Phil Lamar, Tony Rod, uh, Cree Summer, and Kevin Michael Richardson, and Kevin Conroy as Merman. What a great one to end that list off at. I love it. You love to see it. Also, I would like to sidebar real quick here, um, just on the note of Kevin Smith and Kevin Conroy. I believe it was Kevin Smith who got Kevin Conroy to call Sean Gordon Murphy of the Batman White Knight saga um, to leave him. It was, was it send him a recording or leave him a voicemail? I don't remember which one of him reading his lines that he wrote for his series, Batman White Knight that those Batman lines in that universe. How cool is that? I'm pretty sure that was Kevin Smith who hooked that up. And that is awesome. Um, you can look at Sean Gordon Murphy's Instagram if you would like to listen slash see that. It is pretty awesome as a fan of all of those things that are involved. There was an interesting slip up, shall we say, when it comes to Marvel marketing today. Now we all know the rumors that are practically not rumors anymore that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man are going to be appearing in Spider-Man 3 No Way Home. It's pretty much confirmed at this point. But if you needed any other... um, And and how funny, what a funny road we've come on because I am 100% the person who was saying, dear Lord, please let this not be true. I'm still not thinking it's going to be the greatest way for the plot to go, but they could surprise me. Just a, what a funny road. I, I was swearing there's no way that could be true. And now it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty much, yeah, it's probably happening. I still don't think it's a great idea. We'll, we'll wait and find out before I put, say my, my final say on that, I guess. But, but anyway, um, so if you need any more convincing that this is actually a real thing, there is the, I guess there's a Russian website where if you followed a certain, path of buttons, you will get to an ad that shows Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man on a billboard um, alongside a bag of Skittles, a giant bag of Skittles being held by a crane to hang alongside the billboard. Stupid ad stuff, you know. And the Skittles bag does have the official Spider-Man 3 No Way Home logo and marketing on it, so it does look legit. Um... And apparently there was also audio of some kind that said, no way home. I don't know whose voice. I don't know in what language. That part, I don't know anything about. But this is a real thing that was on some website uh, in Russian (laughs) for some reason. Um, But it was definitely Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. You can look this up on Twitter. It's super easy to find. Or, you know, Google it and you'll see the Twitter link. Whatever link you want to see. It's everywhere. Um... So check it out for yourself. See what you think. American Born Chinese is a graphic novel by uh, Chinese. I believe he is Chinese American. I don't know. He, I know he's Asian American um, comic book writer, Jean Luen Yang, who I think is currently doing the Batman Superman comic for DC. He has done a number of really great stuff uh, in the past couple of years for both of the big two. Um, and American Born Chinese was a indie graphic novel that he put out um, to discuss 
growing up as a Chinese American uh, in a American society and a Chinese household. Why am I talking about this? Well, Disney Plus has greenlighted an American-born Chinese animated series from Melvin Marr, Kelvin Yu, and Jake Kasdan, and Shang-Chi's Destin Daniel Cretton is going to be directing. Now, those other creators, Melvin, Kelvin, oh, wow, it's funny, Melvin, Kelvin, and Jake, they are at least some variety, some combination of them were also involved in Bob's Burgers, (laughs) as well as uh, Straight Off the Boat, which was a show that was the first Asian American television show to surpass 100 episodes while they were doing their six seasons. It's on Hulu. I recommend it. It's very fun. But Disney Plus is making an American-born Chinese action comedy animated series. How fantastic is that? That is wild. That is one of those things that you kind of never expect to have announced because it is 100% about representation and education. That is not something that we as America are good about um, thoughtfully putting into our entertainment. But here we are, and this is going to be on Disney+, Plus, which millions of people, gosh, how many subscribers, however many subscribers, they must have hundreds of millions of subscribers. I don't know. I don't know numbers. I'm making things up. However many subscribers they have are going to have access to that. That is so phenomenal. Um, graphic novels, especially a graphic novel like this, American Board Chinese is one of those, not necessarily all ages, but definitely kind of, uh, marketed towards a somewhat younger audience. However, completely enjoyable to an older audience as well. It's that kind of thing. Um, and I have some blurbs here from a Deadline article uh, to talk a little bit about, because of course they do it really well, to talk a little bit about the series, uh, well, the, the, the story in the graphic novel, and then a few quotes from people who are involved with the series as it's coming. They say American-born Chinese tells the story of Jin Wang, an average teenager juggling his high school social life with his immigrant home life. When he meets a new foreign student on the first day of the school year, even more worlds collide as Jin is unwittingly entangled in a battle of Chinese mythological gods. The action comedy explores issues of identity, culture, and family. It says A.O. Davis, the president of Disney-branded television, says the team involved are visionaries in bringing character-driven adventures to life, and we cannot wait for our audience to experience this fantastically memorable and imaginative adaption of the graphic novel. This is a great universal story that moves between worlds and explores the impact of culture, identity, and acceptance through the lens of adolescence. Additionally, Kelvin Yu says, or Yu, excuse me, says, Jean Luen Yang's book is a staple in American literature and deeply important to a whole generation of readers. Personally, I would add that this is the kind of thing that you expect to find being taught in high school reading classes or storytelling classes or stuff like that. It's, it's completely that kind of work. Gene uh, Wen Yang himself says, I feel so lucky to be working on this team. Melvin Marr is a man with a vision, and I'm deeply grateful that he took this project under his wing. Kelvin Yu is a phenomenal talent. 
His script brings to television everything I wanted to get across in my book. And Destin Cretton, who in America isn't a fan of Destin Cretton right now? I can't wait for him to bring his signature blend of action and heart to the show. And also adds, Yang has a long affinity for the Disney brand. As a child, he wanted to be an animator for the studio, saying, When I was in high school, I was such a big Disney fan that I had at least one Mickey Mouse item on me at all times. A wallet, a watch, a buckle, a t-shirt, something, he says. Being a part of Disney Plus is a dream come true. I just hope they treat him well enough. Gene uh, Luen Yang is a treasure to the comic creating world and I am so happy that he is able to get a little bit of his uh, justice here and being able to be seen as the amazing creator that he is on such a large scale. On the last episode we discussed the announcement of John Kent's upcoming coming out in his own comic Superman Son of Kal-El. Um, it's been all in the news. We talked about it a little bit on the last episode. Um, and I just had a couple of things that I wanted to add. Now, before I get into this, just be aware, I am going to be very upfront <laughs> with the terminology that I use because I, I'm pretty sure I got this nailed right on the head, um, because humans are stupid and, um... It's been like that for just centuries, you know, We're, we've just always been like that. So just be aware, this might get kind of weird for you, but we'll move on when we're done. Uh, so more on John Kent here is that what I kind of realized when you look at how many people are calling this whole announcement and this whole revelation sexualizing comics or saying that, or even at the same time saying that it makes him look weak it really brought me to one very firm conclusion. The problem that people have with otherwise manly men coming out is that they cannot separate the idea of a man loving a man and receptive male anal sex, which they find to be the bottom, <laughs> pun, of all weakness because societal values for far too long have just been that way. But the funny thing is the manliest of men in history have been taking dicks up the butt for centuries. No, millennia. What you need to do here first, separate yourself from the thought that anal sex is weak or feminine. Um, that's the first thing. Then separate the immediate notion of thinking of anal sex when you learn that a guy is gay. That's super weird that you do that. Super weird that you uh, learn of this person's romantic interest and immediately just think of them having sex. It's very strange. It doesn't affect you. <laughs> and again, this is all just a theory that I came up with the other day, because like I said, all the people saying that it's sexual and weak to make him like dudes, it's a logical fallacy that they have trapped them in themselves in and really so sad to see. But on the note of sexualizing comic book characters by putting them in relationships, Clark and Lois, Superman and a reporter, made out in the comics for literal decades before John was even born. And the ultimate confirmation that, gasp, they had sex. No one had an issue with that, or the idea of them diddling or even kissing. So why is this any different? Again, it's because 
of the whole gay sex thing. They just can't handle that idea. They can't separate those ideas. When they think of Clark and Lois in a relationship, they think of them walking down the street holding hands, you know, holding little baby what's John and, you know, nice wholesome things. Why is it different when you think of, of men who are in a relationship? Because you can't separate yourself from the sexual act that may or may not be involved. <laughs> that's a pro that's a you problem um and honestly if you have an issue with it i don't know why you're listening to this podcast but i I think you know you're the problem creators are going to keep making characters queer until audience stop reacting to it like it's a big world-changing deal because they're doing it to normalize it once the dust settles and the world moves on you're going to realize it's not as bad as you thought and nothing in your life has actually changed due to this it's okay. I also think, just as a final note here, it is goddamn funny that Tom Taylor, who is writing the John Kent stuff right now, is just, he is just in here smashing up the status quo for comic bros for years on both sides of the big two. Wolverine, how about Laura and her little clone sister? Superman, his son, but make it queer. I love you, Tom Taylor. Pick up that Wolverine omnibus if you see it and send it to me because it's really expensive. (laughs) Getting down to the end of the news here, a couple of brief things here at the end. Uh, There was an Eternals clip that was released by Marvel today showing a very brief uh, fight between Makari and Kingo and a few deviants that appear to have come assail... Assail? Is that it? Assailant? Can you say a sale? They've come to attack a seaside village. Um, it it looks like, um, honestly, the, the main thing that I... Teaming up, yeah, whatever. Okay, we're probably... This is probably something within the first few minutes of the movie opening, just giving a bit of history. This is definitely not modern times. It's obviously back in the day, whenever that may be. Um, but one thing that I... Probably the main thing I took away from this was that... I don't think it's going to be important to the plot in the slightest bit, but it does look like their outfits are individually uniquely suited for each Eternal's powers, such as uh, how we see here, Makari, it it looks like it's suited for the friction and motion of her speed, Um, and then for Kingo, it looks like possibly it is helping with his power blasts. I'm not really sure, but it does look to be involving in some way with their fighting. Um, and no capes. You gotta know on none of these Eternals, there are no capes. Edna Mode would be pleased. There is a... I don't know if you would call this a rumor or an update for the Blade movie. Remember, we are going to be getting a Blade movie still. Mahershala Ali is supposedly playing Blade. Now, if you remember, just another brief sidebar. When they announced this and brought him up on stage wearing that Blade cap, um, they did not say that he had been cast as Blade. They just mentioned, ladies and gentlemen, Blade or something like that. Uh, My husband had a theory why I mentioned this. My husband had a theory that they had not finished a deal with Mahershala Ali at that point, and that's why the phrasing was as such. Um, And that would also possibly be why when they did a couple of their upcoming films and TV stuff updates, it was not included. Potentially, they're still working on that deal. But there is no no reason to think that that movie is not going to be happening. In fact, we are just getting more rumors 
about the behind the scenes pre-production stuff that's going on. In this case, um, apparently there has been a casting call for a character who will be going by the name of Ruby, which could be nothing important, or it could be what people are all kind of theorizing, that this Ruby is going to end up being the MCU version of Elsa Bloodstone. Elsa Bloodstone, how, how would we describe Elsa Bloodstone? She's the daughter of whatever his name is, Bloodstone, who was like a wizard monster hunter. He was was like a monster hunter and he had some curse or some Bloodstone that gave him powers through a curse. Honestly, it's not the point. The point is she's a monster hunter. She's super freaking cool. She has been a member of the Midnight Suns, Next Wave, which I don't recommend. Uh, Fearless Avengers, Avengers, oh my God. Fearless Defenders, which I do recommend excellent Mark Brooks covers, uh, and Doom's Avengers, apparently. I think there's some other things that you could say she was in there as well. I think just standard Defenders you could probably fit in there, um, and possibly a few more small teams. Um, I believe she was, like, I, I, I think she was in, um, Heralds. Yeah, Heralds, which was the four, I believe, issue series about, um, Gosh, it was about the various women of the Marvel Universe who unite Frankie Ray with her Harold alter ego or something like that. It was a really cool thing. Um, I can't remember what it really was, but it was really cool. It's all that matters. But anyway, Elsa Bloodstone has been a lot of these things. Her father, who was the first Bloodstone, hasn't been in the picture for a good decade plus, so it's been... Elsa as people coming into comics right now who are discovering Elsa are not discovering her as the second iteration of a bloodstone. That's how far along she has come in comics. Um, The main version of her people know is the version we see now who's been doing this for a while. Also, it's worth noting physically she has uh, white. She has blonde hair when she has her first appearance in bloodstone number one. But in the Next Wave series, her appearance was changed. I don't know if there's a reason behind that. I don't recommend that because the guy who wrote it's a piece of shit. um, And I refuse to support him. But uh, (laughs) uh, she was changed to having long, long, like, bright orange hair in that. You know, comics and their redheads and their gingers. They can't get enough of them. But to further kind of back the chances of her being brought into the MCU, Elsa has been popping up a lot more in the comics of late, uh, specifically including her getting her own uh, Death of Doctor Strange tie-in, which I think is coming out in December. Um, It's either December or January, I'm not sure. Either way, it's coming out and there's a few other things that she's been popping up in. So whenever this happens, the chances are they're either prepping her to be brought into the MCU or... Um, they're responding to MCU plans by bringing her in. So either, either whichever way you, you prefer to look at that, um, odds are because of her popping up in comics more often, she's going to show up in the movies. The DC Fandome event is happening tomorrow, the 16th of October. A couple of things to look forward to. The first picture of Selena Kyle in the Batman has surfaced. There have been some paparazzi pictures, I know, but those hardly count when you have HD quality studio type footage. Um, 
And she looks phenomenal. She looks like a bad bitch who can probably destroy your heart without touching you or really getting anywhere near you. Um, also, uh, there is an Aqualad emoji like hashtag that has people have discovered is on Twitter, which has been speculating that there's going to be some kind of announcement about his character at Fandom this weekend. Jackson Hyde in the comics is currently being prepped to be the new Aquaman, and so there are theories that they're going to do that MCU thing and bring him into Aquaman 2, possibly have some announcement about that at DC Fandom tomorrow, which I will be covering on Monday's a 38 episode. And finally, Doom Patrol has been renewed for season four. Two, I don't think many people surprised because I, I'm pretty sure all of the reviews I read are extremely positive. Um, so we'll discuss this week's episode of Doom Patrol, not in this episode, but on the Monday episode again. And you can probably expect there to be some kind of mention, at least at the very least, of Doom Patrol tomorrow at DC Fandom, which again, if you're unaware of what that is, it's like DC's pre-recorded Comic-Con. <laughs> they It was very odd last year, the first time that they did it, or whichever year it was. Um, they basically just have a big digital room where they put footage of people up like it's um, different different panels at cons, I guess. Um, but it's all virtual. It happens over the course of a couple of hours, and then it it live streams and then it repeats the live stream throughout the day. So there's no specific time you need to be looking for, just catch up with it at some point. Now let's go ahead and jump into the comic book pick list for the week. Starting off with Batman Imposter number one. This is a black label series that is a 17 and up series and there are going to be three issues and I'm already pretty dang impressed and intrigued as hell. Um, the issue starts with a dying Batman falling into Dr. Leslie Thompson's house. She has been in DC for a minute. She identifies him by taking off his mask as Bruce Wayne, and she knows that they are going to send him to Arkham if she calls this in to the police. So she thinks back on his life, having been his therapist as a child for a good long while, and here we get the insight that this Bruce in this world drove Alfred away with his rage. He, so he hasn't had Alfred since he was a child. That is going to be, I feel like, a big part of his character development that we see switching or differing from the main Batman we see in the regular DC universe. So Thompson, she patches up Batman the best she can, or Bruce, uh, and when he wakes, she does not hold back her judgment. She does not pull any punches with how she thinks that he has basically lost his marbles. She knows him, which is what makes this such a great interaction between the two of them. It, it's such a wealth of information. It's, it's no guessing. They know each other. So he tells her what happened to him on this particular night. It was a lot of shooting and stabbing and blowing things up uh, with him on the receiving end of all of that. So he came here, or rather here to her house, to either die or get fixed up, whichever fate decided for him. He tells her that his, uh, or rather he tells her his this the standard Batman speech 
of how he, you know, I make a vow, I made a vow, and he's fighting the monster inside and all that. And, and she calls it out for what exactly, it, what it is. Um, it sounds like insanity. But through that, she cannot deny, it's impossible to deny, that he is making some kind of difference. So... She has him sign up a slip of paper saying that he's her patient again and makes a deal with him that he comes by every morning to speak with her and then she will not call the cops with his identity so she can keep tabs on him. Meanwhile, there is this rich businessman called Wesker who wants the cops to get on board with arresting the Batman. Um, soon there is footage that comes in with Batman lining people up on their knees on a rooftop before kicking them all off to fall to their deaths. Some of the cops think that he's doing good, but the official word is to find him and arrest him, obviously. It seems that there also in this universe was a history of Gordon working with him, as there usually is, but this time it got him fired and made the whole department look bad. So he's kind of, he's, he's gone. He's out of the picture already as far as the police are concerned and Batman seems to be concerned. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, they have a history and they gotta kind of make up for that now. So they're gonna go hard against him. Um, the detective who is there, he goes, or she, I'm sorry, I forgot this is a woman, uh, but she goes over the facts. Batman has been on the scene for three years at this point. He has left a variety of zip lines all over the city, which are constantly changing routes and locations. There have been 12 impounded hidden motorcycles found, all identical, and there... Uh, have been observations of Batman being heavily armored and yet somehow super fast and just kind of appearing and disappearing places. So that's what they have. Um, there's a few other details that she knows about having to have money, etc. She's doing a good job is what I'm saying here. Uh, Batman one morning is late for his appointment. Uh, when it happens to be the morning that the papers have Batman kills all over the top line. When he arrives late, she asks, uh, Leslie Thompson, the doctor, asks if he, if it's true and he takes off the mask. Interesting, got a note here. It looks a lot like, uh, Robert Pattinson Batman. Just a note. He takes the mask off and lets her know, uh, that there is an imposter Batman. He knows it's impossible to prove who did what, even if they catch the imposter. So they somehow, the only way he's going to get out of this is to get a confession from somebody, um, which is not looking good. Uh, and then the story takes a turn. We meet a rat catcher who I'm not sure is a actual character rat catcher. Don't say, don't, I, I, it's not what I said. His job is to catch rats. Not sure if he's a character rat catcher. It's just, it's, at the very least, it is his job. He's just some dude. Okay. Um, he is a guy, though, who is very unique because he goes to all of Gotham's seediest places to get rats out, places that the normal Gothamite may not have access to. Um, and he does it because he likes rats. And he, in response to what people would say about them, he thinks that people are the real vermin. From his perspective, also seeing, um, getting a view into all of these seedy, horrible places in Gotham the way that not everybody would, it's easy to see why he would think that. Um, and, you know, who's to say that he's wrong? 
then we learn that he's he's kind of been studying Batman. They encounter each other on a rooftop one night or afternoon, whatever it is, and this rat guy tells the bat that he had saved his life once um, when he was getting beat up by some mobsters or they were going to throw him off a roof and, he, and Batman saved him. So now... Um, or he, he also knows that Batman uses the sewers to get around quickly on his bikes, and he calls them smart like the rats. Uh, he tells Batman that he could show him more hidden tunnels to help him out. Now, the question here is, is he talking to Batman, or is he talking to the imposter? Odds are it's the imposter, and that's going to get some people into trouble, um, but I'm extremely interested to find out. The issue ends with... The detective, Blair Wong, she knocks on Bruce's door asking about the Batman. Damn, she is good. I told you she's good. She is doing a great job. Um, and my theory here, I think it's pretty obvious uh, what the theory is going to be, that Wesker, the guy who wants um, Batman gone and Batman just out of the picture, he is probably paying somebody to make Batman look like more of a menace than he really is in order to get public opinion on his side that Batman needs to be stopped. So I've been really, really impressed with this issue, if you can't tell by the lengthy discussion that I prepared for it. Um, it is just going to be three issues. I'm super excited to find out what happens next. This is very intriguing. I can see it going a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I'm just excited to see what happens in the second issue. Now, Jerry Duggan's X-Men. We had X-Men number four this issue, and I have to admit, I have a few issues. It was a good issue from an observational standpoint, but when you start putting things into context of modern history, and at some points even 80s history, um, it really starts to irk me. It starts to get a bit irksome. Duggan is clearly um, extremely very pro Gene and Scott being in a monogamous relationship, as opposed to what I preferred of the Gene kind of drifting as she desires between him and Logan, which was pretty well established previously. Um, I get that they both live here because they're both X-Men, but that brings up the other issue of... I felt like we as fans and readers and creators even had kind of moved on from the Scott and Jean show in the main X-Men title. She had been starring in X-Force for a time where she, you know, slept with Logan frequently. Thank you, Benjamin Percy. But now it feels kind of like things haven't really changed at all the way we kind of thought they did. We're all back to where the way that it was. And as for the sequence with Scott having regrets over, quote, losing his son, Nathan... Sir, you abandoned him before he was even born, and when you saw he and your wife were gone from the house that you abandoned them in, you just kind of gave up, abandoned, and then left the memories behind. You did that to yourself, buddy. Um, that was not anybody but you. Um, you were a terrible husband and father, so... False history, thanks. <laughs> I will die on this horse. <laughs> But like I said, you know, the issue structurally was perfectly fine. Um, a little bit cheesy in the kind of superheroes jerking themselves off about how powerful they are kind of stuff. Um, you know, Scott and Jean go up against Nightmare and Nightmare's like a demigod. And Jean just like literally whoops his ass, which in a way I kind of get. She's an Omega level 
uh, telepath, but I believe they also had something wrong in there because isn't Jean an Omega level telepath, but not um, an Omega level psychic intelligence? One of them's Omega and one of them's not. Isn't, isn't that something that Hickman specifically stated in like one of the first issues that he put out? I maybe I'm wrong, but it's really irksome that I'm even being brought to question the legitimacy of a lot of the stuff that's happening. Uh, I don't know how long I'm going to keep on this X-Men. I, I really want to. I, I want it to be better. I want it to be great. But I'm really not sure if it's going to make it for me. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. E-T-E-R was two fun short stories about exactly what it sounds like. A emergency room for extraterrestrials. <laughs> and it was delightful. Uh, the first story was about a doctor who works at a normal human hospital and she kind of stumbles upon the ETER when she stays out late one night and comes across a dying alien and in the process of trying to save it winds up going with the ETER doctors to the ETER discovering all of that um, and becoming involved with it, becoming very helpful with it, and by the end of it um, being greatly complimented by the other doctors and I think it's kind of accepted into their practice. So really cute story, very simplistic art. The other story, um, I, I greatly enjoyed the art a lot more. The story itself, I didn't, I don't, I can't honestly say I enjoyed more. I wanted to. It's by Dan Panosian, who I'm a fan of. Um, but I, I'm not. I, I, poop jokes aren't funny to me. I'm sorry. And the 12 year old boy and me died a long time ago. <laughs> um, so I just don't think poop jokes are very funny. But it is a story about this doctor for the ETR who miniaturizes in order to go inside of patients to fight off infection at the source. And of course, he goes back out the butt in the fecal matter. I mean, I just don't, I was like, ha ha ha, bunch of poop jokes. But there, there was a good issue, a good, good, fun little two stories. Mama number four, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I struggle to find the right words for series like Mamo. They are inspiring and thoughtful and creative and fantastical and so individually unique. I I have a hard time explaining the point beyond the obvious surface material. Um, so I know I, whenever I probably talk about Mamo, you're probably like, oh, that's whatever. It doesn't sound very good or interesting. It's some kid shit. It is so good. It is fantastic. I just can't really explain why. Um, because it's I, the Studio Ghibli thing. Isn't that kind of along the same line? You can't really explain why it's so good. It just is. Maybe you can. Tell me why you think it's good. But in this issue of Mama, which is number four of five, the young witch Orla learns that she has been tied to this land. And if she continues properly bearing her grandmother's bones, she's going to be stuck there forever. A lot of this issue discusses... Um, the ideas of free will, especially that which when we are young and uh, feeling like we have no control over our lives and kind of how things go from there. X-Force number 24, I kind of skimmed. I am so against Beast. I kind of wish he died every issue. But um, the eldest 
Rasputin, Mikhail Rasputin, because there's Mikhail and there's Pyotr and there's Ileana. Um, he got this guy who I guess has the power to to write you your story. So what he writes you do. He got this dude to write that Colossus is, has been painting the goings on of Krakoa, which we kind of knew, but he's doing it to sell to the outside world as in selling all of their secrets for money on purpose. And then when his... Um, what is she elfie lover girl with the purple skin whatever her name is when she finds out he breaks her neck and buries her in the dirt holy shit that was way darker than i thought that was gonna go uh logan wasn't in this issue which kind of sucks because he's like one of the best parts about this series but um i guess we now know what colossus part of inferno is gonna be guys because he's about to sell off Krokoa's secrets to Russia, literally. <laughs> That's going to be a problem, assuming it goes through. And finally, for the comic book pick list, the last thing we're going to talk about here is Eternals Forever, extremely briefly, because it kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> again, it's not the Kieran Gillen curb, uh, Eternals, so I guess that would be a great explanation as to why I didn't like it. Um, a very different vibe. It felt like, for some reason, an old-school Kirby comic, but the story didn't really seem to go anywhere, ever. Um, I don't know, maybe I missed something, but I don't really see this as being any kind of necessary reading before the movie, or even in adjunct to the other Eternals material at all, so don't worry about it. The Titans penultimate episode aired on Thursday on HBO Max, titled Prodigal Son. I'm thinking in reference to... Jason? I, Dick, maybe? But just, I guess Jason makes the most sense. Tim would almost look he makes sense, too. They're all prodigal sons. I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> these deep titles, these fake deep titles, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh, but this is episode 12, and it is the penultimate episode. We got one more. This episode picks up more or less where we left off with Nightwing Le Dead. Uh, after he dies in the streets, Scarecrow and Jason end up fighting in the mansion. Um, they kind of break up, basically. <laughs> uh, but Scarecrow has... The only thing that makes it kind of a cool scene is Scarecrow has his, like, scythe thing on a, on a chain. He's, like, whipping around him. He looks proper lunatic now so i guess that's good too um gar and rachel beast boy and raven they meanwhile discover dick's body which is pretty awful and she confirms that he is in fact dead there's nothing she can do about it but that is when gar starts getting swarmed by bats those bats that have been following him around for a few episodes and i'm not really sure why and then he starts transforming into a bat himself giant human size at first which was pretty honestly pretty cool uh, before shrinking down to uh, almost normal bat size, slightly bigger. Once this happens, the rest of the bats swarm Dick's body, lifting it up. This was really obviously cheesy, but honestly, there's some stuff that you learn later on in the episode that kind of makes it better, so moving on. The bats take Dick's body to the underground Lazarus pit, who knows how they knew it was there, and they drop him in. Gar transforms back into himself once this is all said and done, somehow with pants again, 
Not sure how that works out. And he confirms that he didn't know he could do that. Rachel also confirms that she doesn't know what to do now. Uh, One note about Rachel in this, she looks stunning and the actress has definitely uh, done some work as in lessons. Um, But it kind of bothers me, the writing of her, how quickly she seems to go from extremely confident to scared and uncertain just all throughout the episode. Um, back to back. Like, later, after she says she doesn't know what to do, um, they're waiting for Dick alongside the pit, and she says she knows that he has to do the rest of the work on his own. So, she does know then. She just can't do anything. It's, it's, it was a little bit wishy-washy, the way they wrote her in this, and it bugged me. So, meanwhile, she and Gar are talking about their powers because there's been some revelations there, obviously. He is aware that he is evolving, and that fear cracks open the door to the rest of those powers coming out to him. He and Raven talk about the power sets, and she says that she discovered that love is what grants her her powers, and that she thinks maybe she can help him unlock more. She reads with her mind his experience with the bats earlier, and she tells him that the bats had helped him because they knew he loved Dick, which makes the bats carrying him slightly less bad still cheesy just not as bad dick while he's in the pit meanwhile is like dreaming or whatever i'm not really sure what you would call that uh that he's in this cave with crane scarecrow uh just crane though not scarecrow talking down to him telling all these terrible things beating up with his words basically trying to convince him um that everything he's ever felt as far as self-hatred and and unsureness goes is all true dick ends up wearing a joker suit and beating dream jason with a crowbar until he finally breaks himself out of it uh knowing that this is not what he wants so the crowbar gets dropped and everything goes to white and then he's in a forest watching himself with his real father as a child in the woods um, whoever it is that played his father in this actually looks a good bit like him, so kudos to the casting people on that. Uh, Dick sees that there, uh, after that he sees a little girl, a little black girl with a red balloon who calls him daddy. Not a clue what this is about. I can only imagine that that's foreshadowing to him and Starfire possibly hooking him up. Not sure why, why he would be seeing that in this weird death dream state, though. Uh, and then Dream Crane comes back, uh, but now they're in the Batcave. Crane says that he failed Jason, as in Dick failed Jason, but Dick punches him in the face, at the same time punching himself out of the Lazarus pit. And he's unconscious, I guess, when he gets there, because he wakes up later and says that he knows how to stop Crane. But first, he needs to unite the Titans with Donna. Tim and Donna, meanwhile, are with Tim's family. His cousin has a whole stash of guns, I guess, and that is the most Gotham thing to ever Gotham. Um, Everybody arms themselves and the family for cops or anyone else on the Crane payroll. Tim's dad is cool, but his mom is a boss, and when they are ready to go, Tim decides that he wants to stay in Gotham to fight with Donna. Babs, Barbara Gordon commissioner, is in jail after having shot a cop who was going to shoot someone else. Honestly, I don't get why she's here. Uh, The cop is fine, anyway. Uh, Crane keeps creeping in on her through the um, cameras and, like, talking to her on the speakers or whatever, like, watching her on the cameras like a weirdo. And he's the one who'd tell her about Nightwing having died, which she does hear and listen to, but she gives him absolutely nothing in return. You go, girl. Then we have Blackfire, who steals a 
uh, I don't know if it's a Camaro, but it's, she steals some kind of fucking muscle car and Crypto the Superdog brings her to find the unconscious Connor Kent, who was knocked out by Dick with kryptonite powder at the end of the last episode, because once again, Dick is an idiot. Uh, Cor- Corey, uh, Commander burns it off of him with the powers that she now has restored also in the previous episode. Obviously, Connor feels betrayed and rightfully so. Commander says that now she does what she wants. And when she sees that Connor is struggling pretty bad with what Dick did to him, understandably, she suggests the two of them team up with Crypto too, of course. Their motto would appear to be, and for the most part, extremely justifiably, fuck the Titans. (laughs) They say it a number of times. And I can't help but note that Connor... Connor really must be something. Um, Coriander... Or Commander, I'm sorry. Commander, she has had apparent male concubines at her leisure, whatever those are called. Um, And yet Connor blew her mind so much on his first time ever, ever, that she would appear to be in it for the long haul with him. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, the three of them, she, Connor, and Crypto, end up confronting that scientist who had held her uh, captive earlier on in the season. They make him, uh, or they make out in front of him, which, yeah, it's it's super weird. Very evil power couple vibes. Don't know how I feel about that still. Uh, Connor even makes a really lame comment about thinking that Blackfire's new powers are really hot, which is not only a pun, but like, lame. <laughs> um, and to save his own life, the scientist offers her her ship back. Yay. Uh, but Blackfire says at first she doesn't want to go home, but then Starfire arrives. And the problems start because Cory tells her sister what she discovered in the last episode in her visions. That Commander had powers uh, that Coriander was born without, and so they gave the powers to Coriander from Commander. Um, And that obviously changes everything for Commander now. The throne is rightfully hers, by blood, by power, and by birth. Immediately, she knows she must return to Tamarin and needs to get her ship working to do so. Connor, upon hearing this, is obviously a bit upset. Kryptonians can't survive on Tamarin. Uh, She says that now that she knows she's a queen, it does matter to her. If she doesn't go back, she says she won't be whole. Still, when it turns out that they need a special ore that doesn't develop on Earth, Connor agrees to use his own powers to create it in this tiny little explosion in his hands, whatever it was, a glowing ball of fire. And big surprise, when he puts it in the ship and they turn the ship on, everything goes haywire and the ore causes the ship to blow up entirely. Mm, yeah, Connor definitely did that on purpose. It's just a question of how long it will be until they, or more importantly, Blackfire, figures it out. Is that going to be how the season ends? Are they going to hash it out? Is she going to be betrayed and, you know, split up in the last episode? How, wh- how, what's going to happen next? I want to know. Uh, but then we have, towards the end, we got now uh, Dick who is, of course, alive again, approaches Jason, appropriately scaring the living hell out of him, which is hilarious. Uh, He tells him that he understands what he's gone through because he himself just came out of the pit, too. They talk their shit out pretty decently and decide to team up, but when Jason asks if he's going to be a titan again, Dick tells him he will never be a titan again. Together, they go to the place that, I guess, holds all of Gotham's villain bullshit in the same room. (laughs) 
for some reason, and they find that Crane has already been there and has taken his original fear toxin, which the police of Gotham brings to the mansion for him. And finally, um, Barbara Gordon, good old Babs, breaks out of prison in the most satisfying way, flipping off the camera uh, that Crane had tapped into as she goes. She escapes into an elevator while being chased by Crane's cops. And let me remind you, she is in a wheelchair while she's escaping and making it look easy. I love you, Barbara Gordon. Uh, And she ends up going to Oracle, which is, of course, the giant smart computer that she had supposedly turned off or had destroyed. Um, and But she goes in there and she asks it to turn online. So potentially Oracle and Barbara will be saving the day. We have one more episode left in this season, and season four has already been greenlit, so that's really exciting. I, for one, am all in for another season. Um, I don't think there's anything that they can do to make me really hate the last episode, unless they kill off Barbara or Corey. Commander might die, I'm sorry, but she might die. I really don't want her to. I think she's probably one of the best. Uh, The three of them are all tied for my favorite characters on this show. Um, I don't want her to die, but I have a feeling she might. But let me know your um, your Titans theories. I'm very curious what you think is going to happen uh, in the last episode next week, which we'll be discussing on uh, the next Friday episode. And finally, the last thing we're going to talk about on this podcast episode is the DC Comics January 2022 uh, solicitations. DC has announced their full line of comics that will be coming out in January of 2022 and a couple of other ones that are sprinkled out throughout there. Um, So we're going to go over the new stuff, the relevant stuff, and the things that I just feel like mentioning. So starting off with Batman The Night, number one. As if there's not enough like Elseworlds Batman stuff going on as it is already. This one is by Chip Friggenzartsky, so I will be checking it out. Um, I believe this is going to be 10 issues, a bit of a longer maxi series, but um, plenty of material there. It's going to have art by Carmine... Oh. Carmine de Gian Domenico. Gian Domenico. Something like that. It's a very long last name. Uh, And it will also have variants by Greg Capullo and Jonathan Glapion. And it says what this is going to be about. The original Batman and his never-ending fight against crime in Gotham City is modern mythology. But what about the story in between? How did an angry, damaged young man grow into the most accomplished detective the crime fighter has ever... The crime fighter world... The world has ever known. How did the Dark Knight begin? Uh, blah, 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 explore Bruce Wayne's journey to become the Batman. This is a definitive new series. So maybe this is canon. Not sure. But it's that time period um, we see a little bit explored of in Batman. Uh, you know, the uh, the Frank Nolan. What am I saying? The Christopher Nolan movie. Um, I don't know why that's always the first thing I think of. Those scenes of him going and fighting in the snow. Whenever I think of that time period of him training to be Batman and everything. That's always what I think of first. It's kind of funny. Um, but this is, again, Chip Zarsky. So, uh, as a big fan of pretty much everything that he writes for comics, gonna at least check this out. Also, the Batman Catwoman special has been pushed back now to January. It was, like, originally supposed to come out in September, and it just keeps getting pushed back, and it's not a good sign. 
the thing that made me want to put the DC 2022 discussion in here was this. Catwoman number 39 comes out in January the 18th. Written by, get a new creative team all together here, guys. We get teeny freaking Howard of the Jonathan Hickman X-Men stuff recently and of Strike Force and of Death's Head and, oh my gosh, I'm sure so many other things that I don't even know. Um, she is going to be taking up this entirely new storyline for Catwoman. The art is going to be by Nico Leone. Uh, there's going to be covers by Jeff Decal, Jenny Frizen still, thankfully, and Sozomeka. What it says about the plot here. Meanwhile, I don't know why it says meanwhile. Uh, Catwoman has returned to Gotham City from Alleytown and is back to doing what she does best. Stealing from crime bosses and looking fine while doing it. New ongoing series artist Teeny Howard makes her DC debut on Catwoman as Selena Guile goes into one of Gotham's most secure underground clubs in disguise to steal blackmail material. Oh, Catwoman, hiding in plain sight in five-inch platform here instead of gathering a Gotham's crime elite while surrounded by all the beautiful women and another shiny things to look at oh what could possibly go on wrong all the beautiful women interesting i find that interesting that they wrote that Goth gathering of gotham's crime elite while surrounded by all the beautiful women and other shiny things to look at fuck yeah teeny howard i hope you wrote this I f I f teeny howard's a queer woman as myself um am is whatever um so that's kind of cool that she put that in there if that was her idea um, mentioning that the women are the ones to be admired. I mean, let's be honest, women are so much better. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> moving on. I'm excited for January's Catwoman. I was going to take it off my pull list when um, Jenny Frizen stops doing variants, which she hasn't yet, but um, now that Teeny Howe is writing it, this may be the Catwoman series for me again. I love the Joelle Jones one. Not really feeling the Rom V. I feel like he characterizes her, honestly, a bit poorly, um, but Teeny Howard and just, yes, ding, check the box. That's me. Here we go. Uh, we also have, really, really excited for, not gonna lie, Superman and Robin special number one. This is gonna be a one shot. And it's super exciting. Okay, I think I had already talked about this actually in the last episode, how it was pretty disappointing. The only disappointing thing, really, I guess, um, about John Kent being aged up was that he and Damian Wayne could no longer be super sons because they're not the same age anymore. There's like a 10 year difference or something between them now. Um, and I loved the super sons relationship, the series they had going for a while. Um, I think it was written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Jorge Jimenez. This special is going to be written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Victor Bogdanovic. Uh, with a variant by Jorge Jimenez, which is pretty cool, and also a variant by Rafa Sarmento. Um, and I am just so excited for this because it hits all of what I wanted to hear in the solicitation. Listen to this. As the Super Sons, John Kent and Damian Wayne put evil to bed past its bedtime. But a new day has dawned, and John Kent is now the Superman of Metropolis, all grown up and fighting for truth, justice, and all kinds of grown-up things that Superboy was only beginning to understand as a child. Now a ghost from John's past has reared its head, and to battle this evil, he'll need to reunite with Peter, with Peter, with Robin for one of uh, for one last mission into the heart of darkness. This time, they'll be battling not as Super Sons, but as Superman and Robin. I I'm excited! I, this, I I wanted to see 
because their relationship has clearly changed, the dynamic has to have changed since they're not the same anymore. You get it? Like, I, I can't wait to see the, how the dynamic is now. Um, and especially, I'm really curious if they're going to mention the whole John Kent bisexually, bisexuality thing. Um, curious. I'm very curious. Um, but I'm really excited for this. And then finally, uh, Batman Urban Legends does continue with issue 11, including a Vita Ayala and Nisa, N- uh, Nil Sola. C-I-Z-N-E-S-I-J-A. I'm sorry. That was no way that was going to work out. Um, about Batman and Zaytana. Did I say that already? Batman and Zaytana. Uh, they're telling a story about that will, ch- it says it will change Batman and Zaytana's relationship forever. Every year, the two have come together to defeat an evil curse. This year, they fail and the world will peril or is- the world is in peril because of it. <laughs> peril. That's words. And then some things that are just continuing as planned that I'm very happy to see are going through January. Harley Quinn, Wonder Girl, Dark Knights of Steel, Wonder Woman Evolution, Eat, Bang, Kill, Woman Up Tomorrow, etc. And the last thing here, Jenny Frizen is putting out a Wonder Woman DC poster portfolio book. I don't know if you've seen them. Uh, James Jean did one that was pretty cool. Art Germ has done at least one, if not more. The art books have like probably 16 by 24 inch posters by these artists who are like big name artists. I think Peach Romoko might have done one as well. I'm not entirely sure. But Jenny Frizen doing one? Yes, please. It's coming out, I think, mid-year. Not coming out in January. It's just been announced in the January solicits. Uh, But it's coming out mid-year. So... Definitely will be ordering the shit out of that. Speaking of Jenny Frizen, she's going to have a art print up for sale through some Chicago gallery. So check out her Instagram for more information on that. That's going to be coming this coming week. The next episode is going to be happening on Monday, October 18th. will be 38A. It's going to be new comic book day pull list. Doom Patrol episode this week's. The Marvel in 2022 solicitations, because those dropped today, and we'll be covering them on Monday. And the DC Fandom recap, because once again, DC Fandom is happening tomorrow. Um, It's kind of, I assume it's going to be a big deal, so you're not going to want to miss it. And if you do miss it, I will cover it for you, so don't even sweat it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Again, I appreciate any amount of support that you're able to give, even if it is just a few minutes of listening each week. Um, I put a lot of work into this, so any amount of appreciation um, that people get from it or any amount of enjoyment people get from it means the world to me. Just as a brief wrap-up, again, if you want to find me online, my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. My Instagram is Anna with the Comics. Twitter is Savage She Geek. And if you want to... Uh, oh, YouTube. YouTube is Sensational She Geek. And if you want to find my link tree, which has all the places that you can donate to the podcast, that is uh, Sensational She Geek link tree as well. So that should be pretty easy to find too. Uh, thank you for any amount of supporting, being it sharing, or even just listening that you do for the podcast. Um, this is a really big life passion of mine that has been a long time coming. And so I appreciate any any kind of support or listening that anybody does. Um, Let me know your thoughts and your opinions about anything that I talked about today. And otherwise we will be back or I will be back 
on Monday the 18th. Have a great week. Stay warm. Stay at an appropriate temperature. Definitely keep hydrated because you're definitely not drinking enough water. I can almost guarantee it. Uh, Don't be a douchebag and read comics. Get sweaty, boys and girls and days.